I remember a teacher of mine saying that the whole of the Hebrew Bible kind of swirls around the exile into Babylon, kind of right in the middle there. Babylon, a formidable kingdom in the time of our reading with Jeremiah, but also a symbol of exile, of hardship, even of punishment to this day. A place, a time, a reality that is difficult, even sinister. Used in popular culture and imagery, Babylon stands kind of like the empire of Mordor in the Lord of the Rings, looming, threatening. In Jeremiah, Babylon is a real kingdom, of course, but in our day, the image of being in Babylon or being in a Babylonian exile is often all too real. Is that where we are now? Well, before I can address that question, I cannot help but say that as we wonder about the Babylon of COVID, there were already many in the Babylon of chronic illness or insufficient access to health care, both physical and mental. As we lean into hard questions and histories and realities around race, we remember that this has been a daily reality for many, well before smartphones and hashtag movements. Babylon is a serious reality, and it is a constant reality for some. Babylon also, however, could be argued as a place of reflection, where under the fire of oppression, a polished and golden faith is forged with new understanding and a new way forward. Hard questions leading to deep prayer, leading to spiritual renewal, leading to just action. But Babylon is not easy, and it is not comfortable. And there will always be someone offering an easy way out. Enter the false prophet. Now, just before our reading today, Hananiah says to the people and to the priests and even to the prophet Jeremiah himself that God is done with this Babylonian exile stuff, done with this punishment. Very soon, all the people will be brought home. Hananiah is trying to make peace. He's trying to get over Babylon without going through it. Now, maybe he is appealing to powers that are anxious. Maybe he is just anxious himself. Maybe he thinks he really is speaking for God. Or maybe he's just insecure and lying to get some popularity. I don't know for sure, but I know Hananiah. I have been Hananiah. I have tried to make peace when a truly prophetic voice needed to speak. I have been uncomfortable. I have sought to make to, to, to please others, to, to make myself and others comfortable. Now, in his defense, Hananiah may be appealing to the tradition of Isaiah, who prophesied years earlier about a return of the people that did come true. Perhaps he thought God would repeat history, in history, what God had done in the past. Well, either way, says Walter Brueggemann, his hope is rooted in an old treasured memory kind of the good old days, if you will. Now, maybe he's blind to his own ignorance. He just doesn't know what he doesn't know. But whatever his positive or negative or self-serving motivations, Jeremiah points out that his words, that Hananiah's words, are not consistent with the legacy of prophets before him that point to the natural consequences that God has put into the covenant and really even into the natural law of the world itself. The consequences for rampant disobedience and worship of idols, even those that demand child sacrifice, 
have not yet been lived through by God's people. The sins of the past have come home to roost, and all of the people of God are affected. That made me think of this movie I saw recently called The Hate You Give. In it, there is this overarching theme. The hate you give messes up the whole world. Notice that prophetic connection there. The hate you give messes up not just you, not just another person or a group of people, but it messes up the whole world. It's like that rule that we learn early on in science that energy is never lost, but only converted. And energy put toward outright hate or even just defining or dismissing someone as other builds a fire that consumes some and singes us all. God's people, Jeremiah's nation, are experiencing the consequences of turning away from the true God and toward gods with a little g that, free, that, that fed their hate and fed their division. Our nation is coming up on a birthday born in revolt against tyranny, and we are a nation that has practiced and shared freedom filled with courageous, forward-thinking, barrier-breaking, and prophetic people. And at the same time, I would wager there is not one of us, no matter how liberal or conservative or independent or somewhere in between we are, that would not jump at the chance to hop into a time machine and go back to any number of poor, oppressive, even wickedly evil events and decisions if we had even a hope of a chance to change their outcome. I'm sure the people of Jeremiah's day probably felt the same. If only we would have listened to the prophet when we'd had the chance. If only we could go back and do better. That thought crosses my mind a fair amount as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a citizen of this community and of this country and of this world. But I suppose I might never be in the present, in the here and now, if I could go back and fix all of the wrongs I can think of. And truthfully, would it really work? Maybe all I can do now is to listen, to pray, to act. Not with the empty hope of a time machine that would transport me back to fix the wrongs, but with a focus on a future that says I cannot abide my children hitting the milestone of 50 as I did this last week and looking at their dad's resume or my generation's resume of doing nothing. I want to make the world better. I want to know what I don't know, I don't know. I want a clear prophetic voice to tell me where the next best cup of water is to pour out that will move humanity forward. Now, are you ready? Here's the part where I say, we can change the world and you clap your hands or in the drive-in worship, honk your horns and the band starts to play and we hold hands and sway. Well, whatever holding hands and swaying looks like in COVID, but, but that's not how I can end this sermon because even I am not that naive. Nor can I be that inattentive to what happens in Jeremiah and in the whole story of this exile of God's people. You see, what happens is God. Jeremiah doesn't fix this. God's chosen don't get better. The kings and rulers don't figure out a better way forward that leads to perfection. They don't evolve with, you know, God off to the side. That was kind of the problem in the first place. So any hope I might have of affecting a more just and equitable world on my own with like-minded people, with a widely diverse economic, racial, political, and whatever else group may, may have some positive effects, but, 
I have to recognize two crucial things. I am a sinner and fall short and will never achieve perfection or anything close to it. In fact, many times my best efforts, my best intentions fall totally flat. And secondly, God is perfect in love and justice and holds out a future filled with hope. That's a quote from Jeremiah in the next chapter. Now, that does not mean that I give up or I brush over the cares of this world with false promises or some kind of dismissive kumbaya. It doesn't mean that everything I said before is out the window. My top beef with God is probably that God seems to insist on working through us. I mean, seriously, God, that's kind of the definition of insanity. But it does mean that if I and we have any hope, our interactions, our actions, our ears, our mouths, our typing fingers, our minds, our everything would be best founded on faith, on the God we know in Jesus Christ. And I believe that means that we are to be painfully open, ready for repentance and renewal, unsettled with the world as it is, deeply curious about one another, as if every time we speak the name of anyone in this world, we hear the whisper of that promise, child of God, behind it. I believe we need to be extraordinarily humble and trusting, trusting, trusting that God will bless this Babylonian exile with a transformation only God can give. That might push us, but surely would invite us to be in this kingdom work with God if we want to have any chance at all to hear the prophetic voice of God at our time. And for fair warning that that prophetic voice usually does both burn and build, convict and promise. But if we want to have any chance, we will need to open this and this and this and these and our hearts especially to the reading and hearing of God's word. You see, the word of God is both prof the prophetic one that points us to Christ and the word that interprets the prophetic being spoken now. It's the lens we look at the world through. You might start by reading Romans 6, which was read today and gives a lot of insight into the condition of sin. It says something to me about sin as systemic, and that helps me think about other systems of oppression as well. One last word. It strike me, strikes me that Jeremiah's uh, retort to Hananiah is probably sarcastic. It's probably got a kind of a slow clap to Hananiah's false prophecy, where he says, Amen, brother. Yes, let your easy answers be true. But I think it has one unintended truth to it, unintended by Jeremiah, that is. He says, when the word of the one who speaks peace comes true, then we'll know that prophet is the real deal. Jesus, as penultimate prophet, speaks of vast hardships that will come in following him. We heard that in last week's gospel. But he does something no other prophet does. He takes the consequence of sin. He takes the brunt of wrath, our wrath to be clear. He takes it on and he shields us from it. 
The prophets foretell destruction for other nations and even their own nation at times. Jesus takes that destruction on himself. He takes the righteous consequences of the law and hands us a promise instead. That's the foundation we have to work with and without which I think our wheels will just spin in place once again. Joy J. Moore says it well, I think, when speaking about the kind of dual nature of our reality, caught in this Babylon of sin and yet freed from that sin by Christ. She encourages us to ask, what does it mean to not ultimately be overrun by this sin, but to be overrun by God's grace? What does that mean indeed? Because that is the promise we have inherited. Great question, Joy. Let's live with it.